0: welcome to new mexico in focus the podcast for monday october 31st 2022. happy halloween (laughs) sorry i just had to do that i'm your host lou devizio whether you're getting ready for trick-or-treating with the little one or just hanging around watching some scary movies later tonight i hope we can help you get ready for another big day coming up on november 8th election day on this week's episode you're going to hear from three candidates for congress In about five minutes, New Mexico in Focus correspondent Gwyneth Dolan talks with District 3 incumbent Democrat Teresa Ledger-Fernandez. Then, directly after that, you'll hear from her opponent, Republican challenger Alexis Martinez-Johnson. About 25 minutes into the podcast, Gene Grant and the Line Opinion panel talk about the warning from Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse-Oliver about a rise in election misinformation and the possibility of partisan poll watchers showing up at voting locations on Election Day. Then to close out the episode in about 35 minutes, Gwyneth sits down with Democratic incumbent for District 1, Melanie Stansbury. Stick with New Mexico in focus leading up to Election Day. This Friday on NMPBS, we wrap up our series of candidate conversations with an interview with the governor and District 2 challenger Gabe Vasquez. And of course, you can find all of our recent election-related coverage on items like Constitutional Amendment 1 and the Attorney General's race on our election page go to NMPBS.org and click on the election banner. For now, let's get to the headlines impacting New Mexicans. President Joe Biden is set to travel to New Mexico this Thursday, days before the November 8th midterm elections. The White House said in a statement, President Biden will campaign with Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, who's trying to win a second term. Biden's scheduled visit comes after Vice President Kamala Harris traveled to Albuquerque to campaign with the governor. Biden will also show his support for other Democratic candidates when he's here, including candidates for New Mexico's three congressional districts. Environmental groups are suing over the Biden administration's approval of oil leases near Chaco Canyon. The lawsuit filed against the Bureau of Land Management and U.S. Interior Secretary Deb Holland says the federal government is going back on its word. Of particular concern are the leases that span more than 70 miles in northwestern New Mexico. The group says the federal government agreed in April to reconsider the Trump-era leases, given their proximity to homes and an area held sacred by Navajo people. The Bureau of Land Management says the parcels in question are outside an informal 10-mile buffer zone around Chaco Park that the agency has observed for years. Under an initiative by Secretary Holland, that buffer would be in effect for the next 20 years, prohibiting oil and gas development on federal land within that area. The investigation into a deadly shooting on the set of the film Rust is now in the hands of prosecutors. The Santa Fe Sheriff's Department submitted its findings late last week in the death of the cinematographer Helena Hutchins. She died shortly after being wounded by a gunshot during setup for a scene in the Western movie. Actor Alec Baldwin was pointing a pistol at Hutchins when the gun went off, killing her and wounding the director Joel Souza. This all happened at the bonanza creek ranch on the outskirts of santa fe on october 21st 2021 baldwin has said the gun went off accidentally and that he didn't pull the trigger but a recent fbi forensic report found the weapon could not have fired unless the trigger was pulled new mexico's office of the medical investigator determined that the shooting was an accident that's after an autopsy and reviewing police reports tourism is booming in new mexico According to a new report from the State Tourism Office, we saw a record-breaking number of almost 40 million visitors last year. The study determined 39.2 million people came to our state and generated about $7.2 billion in spending. That figure of 39.2 million people is about 1 million more than the previous record set in 2019. The data is based on tax collections, lodging information, and other records. Despite setting the record this year, the State Tourism Department is still looking to expand its outreach. Officials there plan to advertise in new markets like the city of San Francisco. This week on our show, our series of candidate conversations shifts to Congress. New Mexico and Focus correspondent Gwyneth Dolan spoke with candidates in each district over the past few weeks to learn their positions on key issues that New Mexicans care about. We start in District 3, where Democratic incumbent Teresa Ledger-Fernandez is taking on Republican challenger Alexis Martinez-Johnson. Ledger-Fernandez has been in office for the last two years after winning Senator Ben-Ray Lujan's seat when he left the House of Representatives. As she tells Gwyneth, she believes the experience she's gained in the last year alone has been invaluable.
1: Congresswoman Ledger-Fernandez, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much,
2: Gwyneth, for having me here.
1: I wanna ask you first, sort of a broad question.
2: What are you most proud of accomplishing since you've been in Congress? Thank you for that question. The reality is it has been an incredibly productive 22 months. They say that we have gotten more done in this congressional session than probably the New Deal. But what I'm most proud of, uh, I can't choose one, but let me start. What I'm most proud of is, of course, the Hermit's Peak Fire Assistance Bill because that was such a long shot. Uh, People didn't think we'd be able to get it done, but I knew that I was not gonna stop until I could get compensation for all those families and businesses who had lost so much. And I knew I had to make it happen, and we did. Uh, $2.5 billion as just the first installment on what we need to recover to rise from the ashes. And you know what? This is what justice looks like. When the government messes up, when they destroy so many homes and livelihoods, they should say, yes, it's our responsibility to take responsibility and then to pay the damages. And that's what happened, and it doesn't happen very often, but we actually are delivering justice at the same time that we're delivering hope. I wanna make sure that these communities know that hope is on the way, resources are on the way. Because normally, in a normal disaster, if your house is tossed away by a storm in a hurricane or burnt down in a regular wildfire, all FEMA can do is pay you about $30,000. Well, that doesn't help you rebuild. But in this instance, it was a man-made disaster. And so that's why we were able to secure full compensation. And that, of course, is pretty fantastic. And of course, you know, I introduced the bill in the House and made sure every one of our colleagues knew of the disaster and knew what had happened, so they could support me in getting it done. And I'm very thankful to Senator Ben Ray Lujan, who introduced it in the Senate, and both he and Senator Heinrich made sure they got it through the Senate. My job was getting it out of the House. You know, I got it out of the House three times. <laughs> you know, we passed that bill three times. You know, but there's so much other work that we've done, you know, from making sure that we deliver water across my district. So from Navajo, where there are too many families without any water, which is ridiculous and unacceptable, to the Eastern New Mexico Water Project, where there are a lot of straws dipped into that Ogallala aquifer and it's drying up. And so we are bringing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to water projects all across my district, not just those two very big ones. We're helping our Secchias. We're making sure that the water flows because when the water flows, New Mexico grows. Well, I wanna talk about money flowing.
1: (laughs) Inflation keeps going up, Mm -hmm. making the cost of everyday items just higher and higher every time you buy them. What have you done to fight
2: inflation? You know, it's not right. When New Mexican families, hard-working New Mexican families have to take groceries out of their cart. When greedy CEOs of the biggest corporations are putting record profits into their pockets. Um, you know, it's a big state. It costs a lot of money to fill up your tank to get from one place to another in our state and it hurts. We also know that a lot of the inflation is caused by three key things. Putin's war and its impact on oil and gas prices, the supply chain problems brought about by the pandemic. And as I mentioned earlier, we have large corporations who might have had a slight rise in uh, costs, uh, maybe 8% costs, and I could name them for you, but then they are earning 200% profit. That is simply not right. So what have I done in Congress? Uh, I voted for the Inflation Reduction Act, and the Inflation Reduction Act is going to start bringing down the costs of health insurance premiums. We are locking in lower costs of health insurance premiums. That allows families to have more money, right, because they're not paying as much for the health insurance. It is going to put a cap on prescription drug prices for seniors, and it's going to lower energy costs as well for families. And this summer, I passed the uh, we passed out of the house the a consumer price gouging bill, um, and importantly about the supply chain problems, we need to make in the United States what we need here, and what I say is let's make it in New Mexico. So we passed the Chips and Science Act. And the Chips and Science Act is gonna address the supply chain issues with regards to chips and a lot of other products. It is talking about investing in manufacturing here. And I want it to invest in manufacturing in New Mexico in my district because we have what it takes, right? We have skilled workers, that we can use we are a transition economy we have really wonderful universities and colleges and we wrote that law i made sure it had provisions that prioritize new mexico uh, so that we actually use our labs use uh, our colleges and universities and so i want us uh, there's 10 innovation hubs it's going to uh, they're going to come out of that law I want one of them to be in New Mexico and we're working really hard to have that happen. So I want us to have a enchanted innovation hub here in New Mexico. We do have a lot of talent here. Um,
1: You know, the average home price in Santa Fe is right now more than half a million dollars. Um, And that's high, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. So what specific steps have you taken to make housing more affordable for New Mexicans across the state?
2: Exactly. Well, you know, before I uh, got elected to Congress, I served for about 23 years as uh, with HomeRise, whose job it is, it's award-winning, its job it is to help New Mexicans get into affordable housing. And I was part of a group that came up with about $150 billion dollars for affordable housing, for housing. Homelessness is also a problem. Rising rents is a problem. We do not have enough stock. Uh, We passed that out of the House. Unfortunately, the Senate stripped it out of the bill, but I'm not ending there. That's my $150 billion to-do list. But what I'm actually doing is we have increased uh, appropriations for housing. I have two housing projects as part of my community-supported projects. One is workforce housing. Everywhere I go, In rural areas, we need workforce housing. So one is in Cuba because we need to be able to have housing for health professionals who go up there. Another one is we are putting $750,000 into a pilot project right here in New Mexico so that we can provide families with down payment assistance. Right, a mortgage credit doesn't help you. You don't need it on April 15th. You need it when you're closing your loan. And so we have $750,000. That's gonna be a pilot project to use like a, a down payment voucher that you can use then. That will help people buy their homes when they need it. We also need to bring down, as I mentioned earlier, the price of goods to build a home. And we are working on that, as I said, to try to address the supply chain problems. And those prices have started to come down. We need them to come down more. But this is a focus because nowhere in my district, everywhere in my district, it's housing. But I actually bring a lot of expertise about housing to the job in Congress. That's the thing, I have a lot of experience. That is making a difference in Congress because I can bring that experience and apply it to my work for my district in Congress. Okay, change of topic, abortion. Why do you think we should not
1: get in the way of access to abortions after 15 weeks?
2: I believe, as most New Mexicans do, that we need to trust women to make decisions about their health care, including their reproductive health care, and whether to secure an abortion or not. We need to trust women to make that decision with their family, with their faith, with their doctors, without governmental interference, because it's a very complex decision that involves multiple things, including, you know, health issues, that we cannot make it from afar. And as I said, I trust women to make that decision. It's a health decision. You live in Santa Fe, which has more artists
1: and people with PhDs than any other city of its size. Nearly half the city's economy is tied back to arts and culture. But after redistricting, the third congressional district now goes all the way down to the southeastern corner of the state, which makes its money in oil and gas and ranching, totally different industries, different culture.
2: How would you persuade a Roswell Republican to vote for you? I am a daughter of rural New Mexico. I understand rural issues very well. My district right now is a rural is a rural district. I am a champion of rural issues in Congress, and that's why I actually have a whole pamphlet of all the money and all the resources we are bringing to ranchers, to farmers, to our arsekias. You know, there are some really good programs that I have championed that we are bringing to rural New Mexico. And as a daughter of New Mexico, I understand those issues. You know, I was flipping burgers at my uncle's rodeo. You know, and uh, you know, riding the mule, uh, which is a very old-timey farm equipment. Like, I get these issues, and I've been working on these issues not just for the last two years, but my entire career has been dedicated to building rural health clinics to addressing issues in rural New Mexico. So those issues are the same uh, as my present district. Congresswoman, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. Well, thank you so much, Gwyneth and PBS for having me.
0: The Republican challenger for Congressional District 3 is familiar with running for Congress. Alexis Martinez-Johnson took on Teresa Ledger-Fernandez just two years ago, Martinez Johnson was born and raised in New Mexico, spent years in Roswell, and graduated from Mayfield High School in Las Cruces. Since, she's worked as an environmental consultant for Exelon, one of the country's largest energy providers. Here's correspondent Gwyneth Doland once again.
1: Alexis Martinez Johnson, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much for having me. Um, after redistricting, uh, CD3 now pushes far down into the eastern part of the state, picking up pieces of Hobbs and Artesia, Roswell, where you're from. What, do, looking at this district as a whole, what do residents in Roswell have in common with people in Santa Fe, where you live now?
3: Well, thank you again for having me. And the, what we have in common is a love of New Mexico, a love of our families. You know, hard work. We always like green chili, of course, but You know, we want a good economy. We want to prosper. We want to live in a state where there's not that much crime, things of that nature. And going from Hobbs, going to Roswell and up to the north, we hold those values to be the same.
1: Scientists tell us that that fires are getting more erratic and stronger in part because of climate change. Do you see climate change as an urgent
3: problem here in New Mexico? Is that a problem for you? The urgent problem I see that's needed is proper policy and management of those forests. So, for instance, a couple years ago, if you recall, we were not able to cut down trees in Las Vegas, in Mora. So what do we have now? Those were put in place so that we'd have habitat for the spotted owl, and that's good. As an environmental engineer, you know I'd be supportive of proper habitat. But there's a way to do it, and that's not being seen. And as an environmental engineer, I would have worked collaboratively with our federal, state, uh, tribal, and local governments to make sure that we are all on board to not let this happen again. You know this has happened before in Los Alamos. Let me take you back to climate change though.
1: What do you think we should do to address climate change?
3: I think what we should do is for someone like myself, an environmental engineer who I've spent my entire career making sure our water, soil, and air is clean. You need to have people that actually have the know-how. You do not want government officials and extreme left party, policy, party politics in play, because then what we do is we get a situation where, like in New Mexico, we're going to be subject to brownouts because they're going to take out one of our coal generating stations in my district, and for what, so that we don't have electricity? I mean, we have to do this in a way where it makes common sense. And that's why I'm running, to bring common sense solutions to New Mexico and to really provide expertise in that area.
1: You recently tweeted about another big problem in New Mexico, fentanyl, saying it's time to secure our borders. Now, government data shows that more than 90% of the fentanyl seized at our borders is taken from US citizens at legal border crossings. Are there other ways that you
3: think we can fight back against this drug problem? Well, we definitely need to have a more secure border. And what I mean by that is what's going on right now, what the Vice President has said that the border is secure, that's a lie. So we have an administration that is not displaying any type of compassion and you're letting cartels run this border. We had the largest FBI bust here in New Mexico of fentanyl. You send your children to college and someone offers them an Adderall, someone offers them a Percocet and it's laced with fentanyl and they die. And so this is not really getting a good look. The precursors are coming from China, you know, they're being um, taken into the United States and the border is not being taken seriously. We need a bipartisan solution and I'm the type of individual that is looking for that. I was raised by an immigrant from Mexico and he was not kin to me but he raised me and showed me what the American way is as far as hard work and determination and I want to make sure that everybody has opportunity in the United States. According to the FBI, the majority of violent
1: crime in New Mexico is committed by young men in their 20s, not on the street, but in the home. And we've long known that domestic violence victims are much more likely to be murdered by their family members if they have guns. Are there any types of gun restrictions that you think could help reduce um, violence against New Mexicans?
3: Well, I think we need to assess those root causes. You know, you mentioned the young men and things of this nature. We need to get to people that are slipping through the cracks. And I would like to have a better economy here in New Mexico, where there are jobs. I'd like to make sure that our children are funded fully so that if they are not getting the proper resources at home, that we can come to the table as a community and make sure that these kids come out ahead. You know, I was raised in one of those homes and a a home where my parents did not care for me in the sense of taking care daily for me. My grandparents took care of me. I was raised in a family that was in poverty. And how did someone like me, growing up on the south side of Roswell, come to achieve the situation now where I am seeking to represent the District Three? And that all comes down to people stepping up to the plate. And New Mexicans, we take care of our own. And so I'd like us to get back to that, but I think that we need to make sure that current gun Um, measures are uh, in place that we already have we already have situations where we're doing background checks you know what I want really want to see is in schools we need to make sure that the social media and all of those alerts that are being put out of someone in trouble are taken seriously and that we sit down as parents and as educators and say if you hear something if you know of someone in the schools or anyone else that is going to commit a crime please let us know so I think education is key And I think that the current measures we have are are good. Um, I am a hunter, my husband is a hunter. You know, I also have my firearm for self-defense. And I think that for law-abiding citizens, we we shouldn't make it more difficult for law-abiding citizens.
1: You, You know, advocates for the homeless say that a lack of affordable housing is a major contributor to people living on the street. What do you think we need to do What could you do in Congress to help alleviate the homelessness crisis in New Mexico?
3: A lot of that stems from, again, these root causes. You know, you're talking about fentanyl. You're talking about substance abuse. In New Mexico, we have a huge issue with uh, chemical dependence. And so I think that treatment centers are very much needed. It hasn't been taken seriously. Only during election time do people discuss it or take it seriously. And I think that to really turn New Mexico around we really need to make sure that we seek our professionals out in mental health and also the chemical dependency. You know, these individuals are um, dependent upon a drug and they need medical assistance. So I'd say probably half of it would be medical assistance and the other half, half would be mental uh, assistance in regard to um, any kind of disorders or anything of that nature or trauma. And so, funding for that, I would really like to see that, especially for our veterans that have a lot of issues um, coming back from some war-torn areas. And back to your homeless, you know, there are some people that they will not go into affordable housing even if that is provided, And, and for those people, this is what I'm talking about. But quite frankly, we have to tie it in with some type of program where you are working for your keep, in a sense. Of course, we all know that we need to come to the table and work together for you know our Medicare and Medicaid, our children and our elderly and our veterans. So for them, of course, as a community, we'll step up to the table. In Congress, I will do that. I would like to make sure our health care is um, where it needs to be. You know, funding to, pre-existing conditions. I want to ask you about health care. Yeah. You know, we've only
1: got about three minutes left. New Mexico has relatively few restrictions on abortion, mm-hmm. uh, in stark contrast to some of our neighbors. In Congress now, there's a proposal to ban abortion nationwide at 15 weeks. Would you vote for that?
3: Well, quite simply, it has been relegated to the states, and I think we should start representing New Mexicans. What do New Mexicans want? That should be the first thing that you're asking as a person for U.S. Congress or any type of leader here in New Mexico. And quite frankly, when you're talking about ending the life all the way up to the point of 39 weeks, that's barbaric. I mean, you're talking Democrats, Republicans and independents overwhelmingly do not support up to birth elective and they do not support all the way taxpayer funded which the the leaders leaders in this state are doing.
1: Polls do show us that the majority of New Mexicans support access to abortion. So if you were elected and this came in front of you, would
3: you vote for or against a nationwide ban at 15 weeks? I would vote for what New Mexicans want. And what New Mexicans want is they want to be able to have their reproductive care taken to the personal level and with their doctor. So quite frankly, very simply, I support New Mexicans, I support them having a voice and a choice, and at that 15 week, I think that is a a point where they can make that decision to carry on or do not, and so I support what New Mexicans want. New Mexicans don't want what's currently going on right now, which is up to the point of birth, and you're talking no emergency. You're talking to someone that has had twins born at 32 weeks, who's fought for their life for more than a month and a half at 32 weeks. Right now, today, you can call Southwest Women's Options. You can say, I have no emergency. The baby has no emergency. Can I walk in and end the life at 37 weeks? And they'll say, come on in. That's not what New Mexicans want. The nation has become more and more polarized over
1: the years, but we like to think of ourselves as New Mexicans as being more reasonable. Uh, How would you develop working relationships with Democrats in Congress?
3: I already have. Actually, when we're talking about the forest fires that have been going on right now, people know that they can call me, and I'm not even a politician. I'm a wannabe politician, right? So I've had Democrats call me. They didn't vote for me, but guess what? Why would they call me? Because they knew that I would do the right thing. And quite frankly, we need a check and balance on representation, and I would be that check and balance to any president that we have now or in the future, and we need to stand up for New Mexico. So I've worked with Democrats, Democrats in Santa Fe, all the way to Roswell. No that I represent New Mexican families, and I don't ask any child, are you a Democrat, are you a Republican, before I help them? And I think today, when we see the governor come out and say, those Republican attackers, you're talking about families. You're talking about my child sitting over there. We are those Republican families, and we want solutions. We don't want talk, and we don't want party fights. We want solutions for New Mexico, for better jobs, for an economy, for a safe environment, and to educate our children.
0: Thanks to Gwyneth for those conversations. She'll be back one more time before the end of the podcast when she speaks with District 1 incumbent Melanie Stansbury. Right now, I'm going to toss things over to Gene Grant and our line opinion panel to talk about some of the concerns Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse-Oliver has ahead of Election Day. Our panelists this week are Attorney Sophie Martin, Tom Garrity, President of the Garrity Group Public Relations, and new to our virtual roundtable this week is reporter Leah Romero from the Las Cruces Sun News. Here's Gene. The
4: state's top election officials are trying to combat a rise in misinformation ahead of election day. Secretary of Secretary Maggie Toulouse Oliver recently made voting machines available to the media to show how they work and the security involved with counting each and every vote. Now, Sophie, I, I just got to ask: Was this a necessary move to ease people's concerns? Is it enough? I mean, how, do, how, how would you place what the uh, Toulouse Oliver folks are trying to uh, get across up there?
5: I think it was a very savvy move. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the challenges that uh, her department, and you know, many of us have, when you're kind of confronted with. People who have bought into disinformation about a particular topic is is that they may also not believe what the media has to say right. about that topic. So, you know, I don't think that it's the silver bullet that's going to going to resolve the issue of concerns amongst members of our community about about voting security and the voting machines. Mm-hmm. But at least I think that the the journalists who were there. Um, can make more informed can you know can be more informed in terms of their reporting um and and i think her office's hope is less likely to really highlight and give credence to people who say you know there are these problems that's going to get hacked into this or that is going to happen so I, i think it was necessary it's just it's worth noting like some people are not NOT GOING TO BE, YOU KNOW, SWAYED BY THAT.
4: Mm -hmm. LEAH, uh, KIND OF TAKING SOPHIE'S POINT OUT THERE A LITTLE BIT FURTHER, SECRETARY TULUCE OLIVER AND ATTORNEY GENERAL HECTOR BALDERIS RELEASED A VOTER INFORMATION ADVISORY, YOU KNOW, OUTLINED STATE AND FEDERAL LAWS AGAINST ELECTION INTERFERENCE AND VOTER INTIMIDATION. Uh, BUT WE'VE LEARNED TOP RIGHT-WING ELECTION DENIERS ARE TRAINING POLL WATCHERS. Uh, YOU'RE IN AN INTERESTING SITUATION WHERE YOU'RE LOCATED WHERE THERE'S BEEN A LOT OF ACTIVITY ABOUT TRUST and mistrust about voting machines—any impact in your part of the world, part of the state, on voter turnout, particularly?
6: So, um, not exactly. Okay. Um, so, in speaking with uh, the county clerk uh, for Doniana County recently, we're kind of on par with 2018 numbers. Um, 2020 uh, was sort of a an out of the blue—you know, it, it was a, a presidential election year. So, numbers right. are going to um naturally be higher. Mm-hmm. But for um this year compared to uh similar 2018, we're kind of on par. Um about thirteen thousand or so um early vote uh early votes have been cast at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Um and in 2018 that number was almost thirty six thousand by the end of early voting. Um so we've still got some time. Um and YOU KNOW, THERE'S ALWAYS THAT, uh, YOU KNOW, WE'RE COMING OFF OF um, of A PRESIDENTIAL ELECTION, WE'RE GOING TO SEE no- LOWER NUMBERS. Um, BUT AT THIS POINT, uh, OFFICIALS ARE SAYING WE'RE KIND OF, WE'RE KIND OF PAR FOR THE COURSE.
4: Mm-hmm. TOM, um, CLETA MITCHELL, THE REPUBLICAN LAWYER WHO ADVISED uh, PRESIDENT TRUMP TO CHALLENGE THE 2020 ELECTION, SAID IN A VIDEO INTERVIEW WITH STEVE BANNON, OF ALL PEOPLE, that she and others are training poll challengers in New Mexico, by name, in other parts of the country. I ask again: Should we be concerned here? We don't know what their goal is—being a poll watcher, so to speak.
7: But is this enough to be worried? Well, you know, I think we all need to be engaged and involved in the electoral process. Mm-hmm. You know, um, <clears throat> you know, I um, people have forwarded me emails that uh, went out looking for you know poll challengers, poll watchers, and stuff and you know i think that you know the point that you brought up earlier mm-hmm. uh as far as um you know that you know as far as building the the event that the uh, secretary of state had to basically build awareness about the voting machines mm-hmm. um i you know it was a it was a solid move um however i think that that a LOT OF THE EDUCATION FOCUS RIGHT NOW IS ON THE ELECTION DENIERS. Mm. Uh, YOU KNOW, HOW DO YOU TAKE THE TEETH OUT OF THEIR PARTICULAR ARGUMENT? Right. INSTEAD OF PROVIDING AN OVERALL EDUCATION TO THE GENERAL POPULATION. BECAUSE THE GREATEST ISSUES, AS, as uh, LEAH AND SOPHIA HAVE MENTIONED, uh, THAT THE VOTING SYSTEMS ARE FACING IN NEW MEXICO IS UNDERSTANDING AND TRUST. Mm-hmm. Uh, YOU KNOW, AND EVERYBODY IS, A LOT OF THE DISCUSSIONS FROM GOVERNMENT of- OFFICIALS Are being focused on that trust element and government officials just aren't a trusted element right Uh, so what needs to happen is is that you need to go back and create a similar based understanding and you know of what is the electoral process how does a voting machine work Mm -hmm. and you know the secretary of state has definitely started that conversation which is important but you know the whole context of trying to reach the new the average new mexico voter is is very difficult because the words and terms that are being used are those which are pretty foreign to people, yeah. even who follow uh, different parts of the electoral process. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what is a presiding poll judge? Uh, and then, you know, and then there are different phrases that are being used as well, like a, a voting system certification committee, election mm-hmm. assistance commission, voluntary mm-hmm. voting system guidelines. And these are these words all obviously tie back to different aspects. OF THE ELECTORAL PROCESS AS FAR AS THE WAY THE VOTING MACHINES THE VOTING PROCESS WORKS. BUT THOSE WORDS TEND TO INTIMIDATE A LOT OF PEOPLE IN NEW MEXICO FROM BEING ENGAGED IN THE SYSTEM BECAUSE THEY DON'T UNDERSTAND WHAT THOSE WORDS ARE. I HAVE TO AGREE WITH YOU. that IT DID SORT OF STRIKE ME AS THIS WAS ROLLING OUT. Uh, WHO ARE YOU TALKING TO HERE
4: EXACTLY? TALKING TO MEDIA PEOPLE IS ONE THING. TALKING TO THE GENERAL PUBLIC IS ANOTHER THING. Uh, THAT'S FOR SURE. Uh, Sophie, LET ME LEAD YOU TO THIS POINT TOO. WHAT ABOUT ELECTION, uh, I'M SORRY, The election workers I, I I was really struck that the Toulouse, Ms. Toulouse Oliver said her office will have a virtual situation room connecting law enforcement and other officials with local state and you know that seems like a really good idea I'm curious your your take on it
5: oh I would agree so yeah. you know i I went and cast my ballot uh earlier this week and i'm always struck by the dedication of the poll workers but also you know also by the fact that they they are quite vulnerable in those locations i mean you know there they are they're sitting out there um it's important and i and i want to highlight this that that while there will be this connection to the state police you you in most circumstances when you show up at the polling location there will be no one in a uniform there there w- you know because there's concern as well that having uh, a police presence there could intimidate some of the voters who are coming in mm-hmm. to cast their ballots so, But, mm-hmm. but you know you go in and you look at at who is there and you think they really in addition to supporting our right to vote the poll workers they do put themselves in a vulnerable position when When emotions are so heightened, when we know that the likelihood of um, disruption it seems higher this year than it may have been in past years. So I'm relieved that that idea that you know the. They're not calling it a war room, whatever they're calling it. But that that idea of the, you know, the integration of these different systems, the communications um, are going to happen. I hope that it isn't necessary, but I also hope that it's something that they continue in future elections. Good point. um, Because we need to be protected as voters, the poll workers, the whole process um, needs to be needs to be safe for everyone involved. Fair point there, uh, Leah
4: Romero. I'm interested about what hap- what happens after election day during the certification process. As you know, ROTERO County commissioners only just approved the 2020 election results after a court order, and there's you know, certainly there's a concern something similar could happen in Torrance County now. Are are you concerned about another repeat of the situation that you had in, in down your way? Because that got ugly for a lot of people
6: it did um you know that's i feel like that's always a concern Mm -hmm. um i mean now especially in recent years that's always a concern um you know we've had some changes on um county commission boards and uh we've seen some people come in come out um so who 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 knows um Mm -hmm. you know it it could be um particularly down here in CD2, um, something that we see. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's something that, uh, like I said, it is becoming um, something that you just anticipate.
4: Yep, exactly right. Thanks to our line opinion panel.
0: Thanks to Gene and the panel. If you have any procedural or logistical questions about the election, we have you covered. Just head to nmpbs.org and click on the election banner. That will take you to our election page where you can submit any question that you might have we'll do everything we can to answer it and get back to you via email or social media now it's time to get back to our final candidate conversation for the week with district one incumbent democrat melanie stansbury we also arranged an interview with republican challenger michelle garcia holmes but she demanded to see our questions ahead of time as a policy we do not disclose interview questions to candidates for public office during an election season We explained that to Ms. Garcia-Holmes and she ultimately refused the interview. For that reason, this interview with Representative Stansbury is our only candidate conversation from Congressional District 1. Here's Gwyneth.
8: Representative Melanie Stansbury, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. You've
1: been in Congress just over a year and a half Mm -hmm. uh, since Deb Holland left to lead the Interior Department. What are you most proud of having accomplished so far?
8: Well, I think this has been one of the most productive Congresses ever in American history. We've passed the American recovery plan that cut childhood poverty by half across the country. We passed a bipartisan infrastructure law that will help invest in broadband roads and water. We passed a CHIPS Act that'll invest in innovation. One of the most important veterans bill bills ever in uh, history since the GI Bill, but I think some of the things that I'm most um, proud of is the work that we've been doing for New Mexico. So I passed three water bills out of the house that will help to secure our water future for New Mexico. We just brought $2.5 billion home for families who are impacted by the fires up north. And I've been fighting to bring home community funding to tackle public safety, the fentanyl crisis, homelessness and housing insecurity, food insecurity issues, and of course, invest in our youth so that's the work that really I think gives me the most meaning and gets me out of bed every morning.
1: What specifically have you done for New Mexicans on on inflation and what more will you do to help uh, bring those prices down?
8: Well, New Mexicans are really, really struggling right now. And as somebody who grew up in a working class family right here in Albuquerque, I grew up in the North Valley and the West Side and with a single mom who really struggled to make ends meet. I grew up digging trenches, working for Extended Families Landscaping Company and helping my mom with sewing. She had a small sewing business and so I really know personally what it's like to try to, you know, make it work when you're struggling economically. You know, right now we are recovering from the Biggest disruption in our economy and workforce that we've seen probably since the Great Depression. And we recently passed in Congress the Inflation Reduction Act, which will help to lower costs for health care. You know, for 30 years, our politicians talked about tackling drug prices, and we actually got it done in that bill. So that's going to help our seniors. It helped extend health care for thousands of New Mexicans. And the other bills that I was just talking about are going to lower costs for household energy, help our um, families here in New Mexico switch out their appliances so we've passed a lot over the last year that helps specifically with household costs but Over the long term, you know, New Mexico is a place where we're resilient, we're brilliant, we're creative. And I think the real question is how do we build a more resilient economy for New Mexico? Even after the last economic downturn, it took years for our economy to recover. And so that's why investments in the supply chain in small businesses, which are the backbone of our economy in rural revitalization. And that infrastructure are really critical because we have to build a more sustainable economy for our people so that they can thrive.
1: You mentioned uh, the fires and Mm -hmm. and climate change was a major focus of the Inflation Reduction Act. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you see climate change as an urgent problem for New Mexico?
8: Well, I think obviously this year has made the climate crisis very apparent for all of us. From these catastrophic wildfires, which are the biggest fires that we've experienced in our state ever in history, thousands of families displaced in the north and in the south, and of course the really strange water patterns that have impacted everybody from the Rio Grande drying in Albuquerque earlier this summer to the catastrophic floods that we've seen in these burn scars up north. And all of those. This is the signature of climate change, and as somebody who is a science professional and a water resources professional who's worked on these these issues my entire career, you know, I believe that climate change is urgent, the science is clear, it's already impacting our communities, and that's why we passed the Inflation Reduction Act. It includes not only the most significant investments in climate change in American history, but ever in the history of this planet by any nation. And so that bill is going to help us make those transformational investments in our clean energy economy, help our communities who are transitioning to clean energy, economic opportunities, create jobs, and of course invest in the resilience of our communities from wildfire recovery to drought resilience.
1: You mentioned in the beginning um, problems with drugs and homelessness. Mm -hmm. Albuquerque in particular, is feeling the burden of these interrelated issues of homelessness, drug abuse, mental health. The governor uh, recently asked for help from the FBI. Uh, what, you know, what specific things can you do in Washington to help Albuquerque deal with this? Mm-hmm.
8: Well, you know, as a New Mexican, as somebody who grew up here in this community, these are personal issues for me. I also live in this community still, but also because crime and the behavioral health crisis have touched close to home for me. I personally lost one of my oldest friends to the fentanyl crisis about three years ago. And so this is not just a political issue or a public policy issue. This is a very deep and personal issue for me. You know, um, as the Congresswoman for this district, my main priority has been to bring resources home to help support our state and local law enforcement and behavioral health programs to help address both the root causes and the immediate impacts of what's happening on the ground. So literally on my first day in office when I got to Washington, D.C., I was able to secure $10 million for our community for a crisis intervention program um, that helps with violence intervention and prevention. Um, We secured millions and millions of dollars over the last year to help with getting fentanyl off the streets, um, to help with emergency um, intervention programs. We're investing in our behavioral health system, especially in the Albuquerque metro area. So my focus is really big in on those resources that we can bring home. But the other major thing that we've done is just a few weeks ago in the House, we passed a major public safety package and it included several bills, including one that will help us you know, provide retention and recruitment opportunities to increase our public safety uh, individuals who are out there on the streets and help provide better training so that, um, you know, as um, our public safety officers are dealing with issues out on the streets, whether it is, you know, dealing with violent crime or a behavioral health crisis, um, we really have the resources and training to deal with that. So those are some of the concrete things that we've been doing, but, you know, I. Obviously, the entire country is facing a crisis with violent crime and behavioral health right now. And in New Mexico, it's particularly systemic and challenging because of these other issues that are interrelated. So that's why we've also been working um, with our behavioral health and homelessness organizations to try to address affordable housing issues and homelessness, food insecurity issues, improving our education system, and also providing youth opportunities across our communities.
1: Um, speaking of uh, you know, um, law enforcement, public safety, we've had a record number of migrants at the Mexican border this year. Um, what do you think we need to do to um, increase safety around the border and deal with the migrant issue in a way that is um, effective and compassionate?
8: We really need to pass bipartisan immigration reform. There's no question. Literally for decades, politicians in Washington have kicked the can down the road, have been fighting with each other over immigration reform and that is what has contributed to this crisis. So we need to really reform our laws and our system so that we can build a more just and a more humanitarian system so that we can deal with not only the asylees who are currently coming to this country, but to provide a pathway to citizenship for the millions of people who are already living here, that we can protect individuals who are DACA and that we can rebuild the infrastructure that can really deal with the caseload of individuals who are you know, seeking immigration status or asylum status here in our country.
1: You support stricter gun laws and access to abortion. But even with a Democratic president and Democratic control of Congress, you haven't managed to make progress on those. How will you do that if control of the Congress flips to Republicans as the forecasters seem to think it will?
8: Well, make no mistake, abortion is on the ballot this November. There's no question whatsoever. And I want to be 100% clear, I am 100% pro-choice. New Mexico is very clear on where we are in this issue. And we have to codify Roe versus Wade after the disastrous Dobbs decision. So we need to pass the Women's Health Protection Act, which I am the co-sponsor of in the House of Representatives, and that we've already passed twice this year. So, you know, the real issue is that while we have the majority in Congress in the House, we have a 50-50 split Senate. And you cannot pass meaningful legislation in the Senate without either breaking the filibuster or getting to 60 votes. And we have not been able to get 10 Republicans to vote on a bill that would protect abortion. So it's absolutely crucial that we hold the House this year and that we grow our majority in the Senate, or else literally we could lose all of our rights in this country. You grew up in Albuquerque, as you said, but recently redrawn lines
1: for this district uh, stretch it all the way down to Lincoln County now, uh, close to Roswell and Alamogordo. What is your pitch to Republican voters in these new parts of the district?
8: I'm so excited to be able to work with all of these different diverse communities. And you know, our new district includes not only the Albuquerque metro area and Rio Rancho, it goes, as you said, all the way to Roswell, where my grandma lived when I was growing up. Lincoln County, it goes out to Santa Rosa up the Anton Chico, just south of Las Vegas. So it's an incredible diversity of communities, uh, including several tribal communities. And I genuinely believe that we need leadership that represents our communities that's going to fight every day to bring resources home and tackle the biggest challenges and to defend our democracy and defend our basic rights. And I think that in this race, this year, this is the biggest election of our lifetimes where literally the fate of our democracy and our rights is on the line.
0: Thank you to Gwyneth, Jean, our line opinion panel, and of course all of the candidates who spoke with us this week. Our hope is that these conversations will help inform your vote when you cast your ballot. Early voting is underway already, and Election Day is November 8th. As always, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like it, please check out our show. It's Friday nights at 7 o'clock on NMPBS. If that doesn't work for you, we always repost it on our YouTube channel so you can watch it there too. We post individual segments so you don't have to sit through the whole show. You can click around. Whatever works for you. Also, please keep an eye out for things on our social media pages, stuff like updates throughout the week, and previews leading up to our show on Friday nights. Thanks again, guys. I'm Senior Producer Lou DeVizio for Monday, October 31st, 2022. This is New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. Have a great week, everyone, and Happy Halloween!